First John chapter four. We're going to cover verses one through six. Lord willing tonight. Title of the message is test the spirits. Okay, pop quiz. See which ones of you have been paying attention again. Review. What are the four reasons explicitly stated uh, that the Holy Spirit writes through John for us? Uh, chapter one, verse four. He writes that we might be filled with. Chapter two, verse one, he writes that we might be free from. Now, pay attention to this one. Chapter five, verse 13, he writes that we might have a firm assurance. You guys are good out of order. And then chapter two, verse 26, that we might be able to fend off deception. I saved that one for last because that's what we're looking at tonight. John wants us to be able to fend off the deception that we are bombarded by really in the world. Look at first John chapter four. Here we go. Verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Word spirit, there is pneuma. It's the word for wind. Um, In our context, I think probably the best, quickest definition would be when you think of you've heard the phrase winds of doctrine, right? It's. Uh, not necessarily a spirit uh, as, as like the, a demon, that kind of thing. But what it means is, and it's inclusive of that, what it means is any intangible influence. OK, so wind of doctrine would qualify um, in this context. This could be doctrine. This could be an experience. Right. Sometimes we'll be like, OK, that person's telling me they had this amazing spiritual experience. But is that really from God? This could be a teaching This could be philosophy, an idea, a program, a church. Basically, he's saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And that word believe means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to give credit to. So John is saying, chapter 4, verse 1, beloved, don't ever miss that. This is, again, our words of of a teacher, an affectionate word, Lord, uh, from from a mentor teacher to his students. He's saying, beloved, don't be gullible. Don't fall for someone's words just because they stand behind or sit behind a pulpit. Don't believe somebody's words just because they swing a coat on TV. Don't believe somebody's words just because they tell you that you can have a deeper relationship with God than you've ever had. That might be true, but don't believe them just because they're saying it. Don't believe them just because they say you're missing out on wealth or health or fulfillment. Just because someone speaks for God doesn't necessarily mean it's so. First John chapter four, verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. False prophets, that word is pseudo prophetes. It's pseudo, meaning it's fake, but it looks like the real thing, right? False prophets, they look like the real thing. They're charismatic. They're charming. Both the real thing and the false prophets, they they might look good, right? The real deal, the phony baloney can both look good. And he's saying, look, along with the real messengers from God, there are many imposters. Now, I could be... A real Bible based pastor. Or I could be a real Bible disaster. I could be a true minister. 
or something more sinister. <laughs> How do you know the difference? Well, John says, test the spirits. The word test there, it's dokimatsu. It means to examine, to test, to prove, to scrutinize whether a thing is genuine or true. It's the same exact word that they would use for the testing of metals. Now, interesting, the Bible is a treasure trove. Is it not a gold mine? But there's a lot of people that are, well, gold diggers. They're looking for little things that they can kind of trap you in. They're trying to pass off for you lead painted as gold. Now, we are commanded here as individuals to test the spirits behind the preacher, right? To pull back the curtain on the charisma, the charm, the good looks, however impressive they may be. And what this is talking about is that intangible uh, influence. Pull back all of the facade stuff and look, scrutinize, test, examine the spirit behind it. How are we to do that? Well, he tells us right here in verse 2. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. <laughs> and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. He addresses a local problem for them there in chapter 4. But from it, we're going to learn, I think, tonight, a larger principle, okay? A local problem that he addresses specifically, but we're going to see a larger principle that will help us. Um, the local problem. Most of you, if you've been with us first John, probably are aware of it now. It's the group called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic is the word for knowledge. These guys believe that they had hidden knowledge, that they just knew a little bit more than everybody else. So stick with us. We can lead you into this hidden knowledge of God. And one of the things that they believed, we've seen it a few times, they believed that Jesus was God, but that he was not really man. Now, we have most of the time the opposite problem these days, right? They actually believed that Jesus was God, but not really man. He was more like a phantom. They literally had the tradition that if you were walking down the beach with Jesus, you would look behind you and you wouldn't see, you'd see your footprints, but not his. That was just conjured up. They just made it up. They believed that Jesus was an ordinary human until his baptism in the Jordan. And then at that moment, the spirit of Christ came upon him and that that spirit stayed with him until the crucifixion when the spirit left him. So basically, they're making up their own version of Jesus. They denied the historical accounts of Jesus. Think about it, not only of the 12 apostles, but of hundreds and hundreds of disciples who touched him. They saw him. They heard him. They handled him, the real physical Jesus. So John says, look, by this, speaking to this, this group of people who the Gnostics were the, uh, they were the heresy uh, du jour. It says, by this you know the Spirit of Christ. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. <clears throat> the word flesh there, in the Greek it's sarx. And in the Greek, do you know what it means? Flesh. <laughs> it means the soft substance. This is literally from the uh, the. The definition, the soft substance of the living body, which covers the bones and is permeated with blood. 
of both man and beast. Talking about the flesh. What, what he's saying is, look, when I wrote the, the Gospel of John, the, the author here, look, this was an eyewitness account. He came in the flesh. He had skin and bones. John says, we're talking about the historical Savior. The God literally with skin on, he's fully God and he's fully man. Again, that's exactly why if you turn back John chapter first, John chapter one, John doesn't even make any niceties. He doesn't say greetings to you from so and so. He says, OK, here's the deal. That which was from the beginning, that which we saw, we heard, we touched him with our own hands. We saw him with our own eyes. And he says it over and over again, right out of the gate, he says, look, you need to understand this was a real man in real history who came from heaven and rescued us. John says this is not some fairy tale, some fable, some fantasy that we can just tweak to our liking. This really happened. Jesus really came from heaven. He really was born of a virgin. He really walked this earth in a real physical Sark's flesh body. He really died a real painful physical death. And he was really raised from a real with a real physical body from a real physical death. John says, look, we serve a real physical, historical Jesus. And anyone who tells you different, verse three, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And watch, he goes further. And this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. What's John saying here is, look, anyone who tells you different is not just incorrect. They are influenced by the enemy. You see that again? Pull back the uh, flowery words, the, all the charisma. When you look behind the flowery words, you find that that idea, that program, that person whatever it is, is influenced by the spirit, it says, of Antichrist. That is that intangible influence of the Antichrist. He says that's coming into the world. And we've talked about the Antichrist recently as well. Right? One day, all that is Antichrist against Christ or pseudo-Christ, that is which tries to take his place, one day all that, that is that will, will be personified in this person called the Antichrist. But John says, look, already, and this was back then, already look, the intangible influence of the Antichrist, that is his spirit, the philosophies, um, the, the general thinking that he is pushing on the world, already that is here. So John says, first of all, he's addressing that local problem. What was the local problem? That the Gnostics were saying, well, you know, he's, he's God, but he's not really man. He kind of just floats above everything. John addresses that problem. But I don't know about you. If you read that and only that, you're like, okay, well, how does that do us any good? Because that's not the problem today, is it? The problem today isn't people not believing that Jesus was a man. No, the problem today is people thinking that he was only a man. Verses 1 through 3 at first reading don't seem to apply as much in our day because very few, if any, false teachers today will tell you that Jesus didn't exist in the flesh. No, what they'll tell you is that he's just not quite God. 
We don't have the same local problems that they had. But for us tonight, I think what we really need to, to see here is that there's a larger principle that can apply in our culture today. We don't have the same local problem, but the, the same larger principle that John is getting across to these guys, I think will help us. And that word you'll find, chapter or verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses. You guys remember what the word confess means? In, in the Greek, it's homo logeo. Homo means the same. Logeo means to say. Every spirit that says the same. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not say the same, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is not of God. There's going to be three principles we're going to see here tonight. And they all start with this confess, that is, say the same. This helpful larger principle is, look, every spirit that says the same thing about our historical Savior is of God. And everything that says something different than what the Bible says, than what history says, is not. Everything that says the same that he says of himself is of God. Everything that says something different is not. Everything that says the same that the Gospels say of him, right, that he was virgin born, sinless, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, all of that, if it says the same, it's of, of God. If it says something different, it's not. Everything that says the same that John the Baptist said of him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is of God. Everything that says something different is not. Everything that says the same that Peter said to him, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is of God. Everything that says something different is not. Every spirit that says the same as these multiple manifold witnesses that we find here in the Scripture about our historical Savior is of God. And every spirit that does not say the same John says it's not only incorrect, but influenced by the Antichrist. So let me give you some examples. Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't say the same that Jesus says about his deity. They say that he's, for lack of a better term, like a junior God. Uh, the, the spirit brother of Lucifer. The Mormons, they don't say the same thing. That we say about Jesus, they say, well, he is a God, but we're all going to be. So that's not the same. Muslims don't say the same thing regarding Jesus origin. They say it's blasphemy to them that God would beget or be begotten. So they don't say the same. Of course, atheists don't say the same, right? They don't believe in any God, let alone his son. Here's the sad part. Mainline denominations now don't say the same about Jesus' view on sin, death, redemption. They don't say the same thing that he says about himself, which is, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Even mainline denominations are now saying, well, there's other ways. And John says, don't be fooled. Everything that does not say the same 
is not only incorrect, but it's influenced by the enemy. Every spirit that is intangible influence, philosophy, program, religion, government, new age church, mainline church that does not say the same thing that God has always said about his son and that his son says about himself and that the word says about him through the prophets, the, the, the word, the spirit. All of that is under the influence, the spirit of Antichrist. Do you feel surrounded? I mean, think about that. That's a lot of intangible influence that opposes our king. And that's not, we haven't even touched on TV or the Internet. You guys ever, when you start to test the spirits, go, whoa, there's a lot of spirits that are influenced by the enemy. You ever get intimidated? Ever get worried? Well, you will before I'm done. No. Um, does, doesn't it seem like every time you turn around, there's another spirit of Antichrist gaining ground? I was kind of kidding, but not. Let me, let me give you a few little things that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't. There are denominations, of course, being split over whether to adjust their lives to the Bible or adjust the Bible to their lives, right? The, the, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, a man that is suing uh, Tyndale Publishers for their, their latest uh, revision of the New Living Translation. He's seeking $10 million for a negative connotation toward homosexuals. Uh, he says, let's see, trying to figure out where to pick it up here. He alleges Tyndale House Publishers manipulated scriptures when it published Tyndale's New Living Translation, Holy Bible, and the New Life Application Study Bible by using the term homosexuals in a New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. One Bible dictates homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, while the other is completely void on the issue altogether. Which, <laughs> oh. And he goes on to, to have three different versions, one that was written in 1970, one that was written in 1982, and then the newest one. And they all say, say that homosexuality is wrong, but I guess it's because they actually use the word homosexual that he's bothered. So we have now people suing Bible publishers for just printing what it's been said in the original all along. So. It seems like all of this continues to mount right against us. Um, I don't know if you know, too, in California, I think they've already passed. I could be wrong, but they already are. They're going to a law about transgender, which I guess means you can. There are people in California that can decide they can wake up and decide I'm going to use the female restroom today because today I feel like a woman. It's like getting ridiculous. And. What, what John is saying is, look, test the spirits and find out where they're from. And I don't know about you, but when you start to test the spirits, the winds of doctrine, it feels like you're in a hurricane. Is anyone freaked out? Besides me, I mean, um, well, verse four is for you, if you are and for me. Look at verse four. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What we see here 
if you're, if you're trying to take an outline, um, he says, look, you can test the spirits um, by these couple things. Do they say the same thing about our historical Savior that we read in the Bible? Number two, in verse four here, do these spirits say the same thing as the Holy Spirit within you? So when you watch TV, when you hear people preaching, when you hear of these uh, this lawsuit, for instance, does that say the same thing as the Holy Spirit within you? Verse four. Once again, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you start to feel overwhelmed, surrounded. Do you realize verse four? Is really encouraging or it should be. Think of it. It speaks to a group. That is surrounded by hostile philosophies and philosophers. By hostile winds of doctrine. By spirits, Right. Anti-Christian ideas, ideas, excuse me, and ideals. It speaks to, well, you and me. And what it says in the middle of verse four is, look, guys, don't forget. He says, little children. You are children of God. Who is God? Well, God is love. And the Bible says he's the creator of all things. He's the one who spoke the worlds into existence, right? He's the one whose the heavens span between his index finger and his thumb. I just did this little research for you this week. Astronomers estimate that there are about 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way alone. Outside that, there are millions upon millions of other galaxies also. This is from um, CNN, Sydney, Australia. Ever wanted to wish upon a star? Well, you have 70,000 70, million, million, million to choose from and counting. That's the total number of stars in the known universe, according to a study by Australian astronomers. <clears throat> Listen to this. It's also about 10 times as many stars as grains of sand on all the world's beaches and deserts. So when you say the stars, there's as many as a grain of sand. Actually, apparently there's 10 times more so far. The figure that is a seven followed by 22 zeros or more accurately, 70 sextillion was calculated by a team of stargazers based at Australian National University. What they did was they, they took a, a tiny strip, well, a tiny strip from our perspective, and calculated all of the, the stars that they could see in that with the best uh, telescope that they have, and then they multiplied out and, and did all of the huge math. Um, the, the gentleman who did the study said that there were likely many million more stars in the universe but the 70 sextillion figure was the number visible within range of modern telescopes. The actual number of stars could be infinite, he said. Okay. You are the children of the one who made those. And think about this. Genesis 1:16 says that God made the sun and the moon the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then it says, and he made the stars also. Yeah, as an afterthought. Amazing. When, when you start to look and you're like, okay, we're surrounded. This doesn't look good. What in the world are we going to do? How bad is this going to get? 
Verse four, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because that is the false prophets, right? Meaning you won't fall for them, have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you're a Christian here tonight, and I hope all of you are. You are the temple of the living God. The spirit, think about it, that has taken up residence in you is greater, larger, stronger. That word greater means literally larger, bigger than the spirit of the Antichrist that is in the world. So when you start to get all freaked out and nervous and overwhelmed, don't forget that the spirit that is willing to take up residence inside of you is the same spirit, the same uh, personality that created the stars as an afterthought. He says, you have overcome them. That word is Nikeo. It's where we get the word Nike. It means conqueror. Do you guys feel like conquerors? (laughs) You say, fine, okay, I'm a conqueror. I get it. Why does winning feel so much like losing? (laughs) Well, you can turn with me if you want. Um, I'm going to read to you some from Romans chapter 8. That's a surprise. I didn't tell you about that. Romans chapter 8. There was another guy who was surrounded and it didn't look so good. But listen to his words. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. That's a place to start. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or setbacks or economy? Any of that stuff, right? As it is written, verse 36, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So he's saying, "Okay, it doesn't look so good right now. Verse 37, yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor pink slips, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, who, by the way, created all the stars as an afterthought, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, I say, look, it still might get worse, believe it or not, before it gets better. But it's getting better. The outcome is already decided. We win all of these. Whenever you see this word conqueror, it's it's in the present or past tense, which is, look, this is already decided. John 16, 11. Do you remember when Jesus was on the night of his betrayal? He says the ruler of this world is judged. John 12, 13 says now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. God looks at the span of history because he's outside of time and says, okay, this one's done. You guys understand that? Now, in terms then of just fending off deception, which is John's goal in this text, 
What John is saying is that we can we can narrow it down then to three things. The spirit of God says the same. Right. That's our key phrase. Confesses says the same thing about our historical savior. That all of the witnesses in the Bible say. The spirit of God says the same thing as the Holy Spirit that is within you. And now we're going to see the spirit of God. Says the same thing as the Holy Scriptures that are in your lap. Look at verse five. First John chapter four, verse five. They that is the false prophets are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. They, the false prophets, are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. You guys ever look at the false prophets that are out there today? Um, for instance, the the name it and claim it preachers. The ones who say, just speak it and seek it, blab it and grab it. You ever wonder why all those guys, not maybe all, but quite a few of them have this huge following? Multi-million dollar operations where they need stadiums of people to, to, to be able to, to contain them? Or you ever wonder why Holly Weird is over, overrun with Eastern influence religion, Scientology, all that stuff? And it seems like, I mean, we know, thankfully, we know there's Christians on every, in every element. We are salt and light in, in every community. But you ever wonder why you look around and you can't seem to find one? Right. You can't find Christians on the world stage, it seems like, when you look for them. Why is it that real Christianity, it seems, can't get an audience? But every other religion is well received, even to the point in Europe now where it's Sharia law they're considering. How, why is that? Well, verse five tells you they, the false prophets, they're of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. Let me rephrase it for you, maybe it'll be clearer. The false prophets are natives of this world. This is where they live. This is their stomping grounds, right? So they speak the native language, right? Have you ever been to where you're the outsider, right? And two natives are talking about you and you're not sure what they're saying. <laughs> the false prophets are speaking the world's language, right? Health. Wealth, prosperity, your best life now. Look out for number one. The world's getting better. It's not getting worse. There's no such thing as hell or sin or shame. God doesn't care about purity. None of that stuff. There's so many paths to God. All of that is the world language. Right? Morality is just a personal thing. Your reality may be different. It, Phrases like, if we could just get rid of those narrow-minded Christians, we'd be okay. Phrases like, look, just choose the wide path. That's the way to go. If you wonder why you can't get an audience, it's because the, the false is speaking the language of the world. They're speaking the native language. But look at verse 6. We are of God. That is, we speak the language of heaven, right? We are citizens, according to the Bible. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of heaven. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us, right? So it's like two foreigners coming together in a foreign land and going, oh, another person who speaks English. It's the same deal when you, when you run across a Christian, right? We are of God. He who knows God hears us. 
He who is not of God does not hear us. Now, that's a great uh, encouragement, I think. But it's also important to realize, I think, verse six, when you look at that word us, when you really pin it down, I think John must be speaking of himself as an apostle. He says, again, when when the focus is how to fend off deception, he says, he who knows God hears us. Because in other words, let me put it this way. We could tell ourselves that all the time, right? He who knows God hears us. If they don't listen to us, right? They're just proving they don't know God, right? That's kind of a floating reality. But John, the apostle who's writing under the the, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I think he's saying, look, if you want to be able to determine whether a spirit is of God or not, whether that influence, where it's coming from, look, it needs to agree with the historical Savior written about by all of these folks. It needs to agree with the Holy Spirit that's within you, but also it needs to agree with the Holy Scripture that I'm writing right now. Turn to John chapter 10. You'll see this this same idea. Uh, John couldn't seem to get an audience with certain people. We can't seem to get an audience with certain people, but we're in good company because Jesus couldn't seem to get a hearing with certain people. John 10, verse 3, he's speaking of the good shepherd. He's talking about himself. To him, the, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He said it twice now. The sheep know the, the voice of the shepherd, right? Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. It says there's, there's a language here that is between the, sh- the shepherd and the sheep. Verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Right? It's like a uh, case in point right here. You guys aren't really kidding this. See, what, what they had then, what John had then, and what we have now is a failure to communicate. But it's not our fault, right? Look at verse 27. He just continues the same, uh, the same thing keeps popping up. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The Holy Spirit is within you. The same creator who created all the stars. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. More encouragement. I and my father are one. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Okay, they still are not hearing him. (laughs) What we have here is a failure to communicate. If we are speaking the truth in love, if if you tried that this week, you just went out and told somebody about Jesus because you took the message on Sunday seriously. The thing I'm going to do is going to be, I'm going to go out and share my faith because that's the most loving thing I could possibly do to anybody. And you're like, get that right in your face. If that's you, look, it happened to Jesus. It happened to John. We speak a heavenly dialect and the world goes, huh? But sometimes, and this is, the part that it's, makes it all worthwhile, right? Sometimes you actually have that Acts chapter 2 moment where the heavenly language suddenly clicks with the unheavenly person 
because God is wooing them to himself, right? And that is when unbelievers become believers. People who are trapped in death become alive. By this, uh, verse 6, he says, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So this just explains really that disconnect between you and the world and between me and the world. So let me just recap here. Um, we're, get, we're getting close to the end. The three tests then of the spirits. The spirit of God says, look, the spirit, whatever spirit you're analyzing will say the same thing about the historical Jesus, the historical savior in the Bible. The, whatever spirit will say the same about the Holy Spirit or from the Holy Spirit in you. And will also say the same thing as the Holy Scriptures in your lap. Now, on that last point, let me do a little bit more underlining. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. You can turn there if you like. It's the one about those Bereans. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 17, 11. The, The writer of the book of Acts, Luke, stops and gives them a compliment. Acts 17, 11, these were more fair-minded, noble than those in Thessalonica. So he also burns the guys in Thessalonica. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. He says, I got two really great things to say about these guys in Berea. They received the word with all readiness. That is, they were hungry for the word. They were active listeners. And let me say, if you're here on a Thursday, that's a really good sign, right? And I want to just encourage you to continue being active listeners. And if you're a teacher, you know that there's a huge difference between active listening and just listening, right? This is what just listening looks like. this is what active listening is like, right? Like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm listening. I'm attentive. And I want to hear what it is that the Lord is saying to me tonight. And you guys, honestly, I'm just blessed that you guys are so much like that. So he gives them two compliments, though. He says they're active learners, but here's the other one. They're astute learners. They're not gullible. Okay? I don't know. I think... The, the longer you, you are in the word, I think that can be said of you. I know that many, most of you are active listeners, especially, again, if you're here on a Thursday night. But maybe the challenge is to be astute learners. That is not just taking what I say because I say it. Right? I'm pretty convinced that we're active, but I hope that we continue to become more astute. Um, what, what is, how does that happen? That means you go even home tonight or over the next few days and say, okay, well, First John chapter 4, verse 1, 6, this is what he said. Let me, let me go over that again. Holy Spirit, does that seem right with you? I, does this match up with the, the historical account that I find of Jesus in the, in the Bible? Um, and does this match all of the other things that I know in the Bible? Um, just to, uh, one more encouragement for you. So, Last time, I'll say it. Uh, The Spirit of God will say the same thing about our historical Savior. It will say the same thing as the Holy Spirit in you. And it will say the same thing as the Holy Scriptures in your life. Okay? 
He's writing this that you might be able to fend off deception. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for these disciples whom you love. Thank you that you love them so much. You love us so much, Lord, that you don't want us to be caught unaware. You don't want us to be uh, fooled. How, how much you love us, Lord, to, to give us warning. Lord, uh, when the enemy wants to try to pick us off. We thank you for that and just pray that you'd help us, Lord, to put into practice the things that you're speaking to us tonight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.